What's up, friends? You're listening to the Secret Chord Podcast, the show about finding the harmony between faith, music, and business. I'm your host, Nick Morrow. Welcome to episode five. There seem to be two unhealthy extremes when it comes to Christian musicians. One extreme is Christians that listen to almost exclusively Christian music, right? Like their playlists are full of worship and Caleb songs. They know all the Christian artists and even their favorite quote non-Christian artists are bands like Switchfoot or Need to Breathe, 21 Pilots. Honestly, I'm jealous of these people sometimes. The other unhealthy extreme is people who love Jesus, but they hate Christian music. Like, they want to get as far away from it as they possibly can. They wouldn't be caught dead in the church band. And they make lots of sarcastic jokes about how bad Christian music is all the time. Honestly, neither one of these extremes is very healthy for me, in my opinion. I don't know where you find yourself. I know a lot of people are somewhere in between. The K-Love superfans can easily forget that there's people out there that don't know Jesus or Jesus music. And the Christian music haters, they can be so full of venom and cynicism, like it almost makes me feel dirty. Like I can only take so much trashing on Christian music, no matter how much someone doesn't like it. Not proud to admit this, but in my lifetime, I've been part of both of these clubs, and honestly, neither one of them is very life-giving. I've made a lot of peace with Christian music in my own journey, but sometimes, honestly, I still struggle with Christian music, like from a quality perspective. On one hand, I actually think that worship music is better than it's ever been in my lifetime, and I truly celebrate that. On the other hand, I feel like we still have a long way to go. Actually, it's a large part of the reason that I make the worship music that I do. It's a large part of the reason I make this podcast. Sometimes I get super burned out on Christian music or worship music kind of sounding all the same, right? You've heard this before. And and I, I get in these modes and I just have to go and cleanse the palate. Listen to some Wilco or some Beatles or some BTS, whatever it is. You know what I mean? And you know what? Almost every Christian musician that I talk to, including a lot of the ones that are making the Christian radio music, Behind the scenes, they sometimes don't love Christian music so much either. They talk about how it could be better, how we should improve it, etc. My guest today exemplifies someone who navigates this tension super well, in my opinion. He does so with a lot of wisdom and grace. Andy Squires is a pastor and a songwriter from North Carolina. In 2015, he released his first solo record, Cherry Blossoms which was written and released after the murder of his friend and the emotional and spiritual wrestling that took place with God in the wake of his friend's death. His brand new album, Poet Priest, just came out. And you guys, it's just so amazing. I'm like an Andy Squires evangelist. I tell all of my Christian songwriter friends about Andy Squires all the time. I love his music. In fact, I often call him, in my opinion, the greatest living Christian songwriter. And he clearly sees the room for growth in Christian music, and yet he's made his own peace with it. He writes these epic 
gritty biblical themes into his music that somehow both honor the holiness of God and the depths of humanity's failures and suffering. Andy also has a huge family like mine, something we touch on a little bit in today's episode. Andy's got a deep pastoral heart and a love for theology and telling the truth. He's an absolutely brilliant dude. Talking with him for me was like drinking through a fire hose, and I think you'll enjoy it too. So without any further gushing or fanboying, I'm going to let you have it. Here it is, my interview with Andy Squires. So Andy, thanks for joining us today, man. Oh, I'm excited to be here. So listen, we, um, I do, most people do the lightning round questions at the end. I go straight mm-hmm. for the throat, right in the beginning. Hey. I'm hey. going to lay it on you. All uh, right, let's do it. So first of all, on a scale of one to 10, if one were the best day of your life, 10, I'm sorry, one was the worst day of your life, 10's the best day of your life, how's your day been? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm at a seven. Hmm. Yeah. Three away from the best day of your life. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty, I mean, that's a good, it's a pretty good season for me right now. So it's nothing, nothing ecstatic, but I, just, I, I don't know, maybe my eyes are open a little bit to the amount of things I have to be grateful for at the yeah. moment. So COVID's doing that for a lot of us on a good day. Yeah. <laughs> that's great, man. All right. What's, um, if you, Desert Island, you can listen to three, four, five of your favorite songwriters, and that's it for the rest of your life. Who are you taking? Bob Dylan, number one. Leonard Cohen, number two. Number three, Rich Mullins. Um, oh, gosh. Th- those are probably my top three. I'm I'm sure I'm forgetting some. There's there's so many other artists that are just kind of right out of that orbit. Yeah, uh, you had that so fast rattled off. Yeah, those are my guys. Yeah, those are my guys. I mean, and and I was late. I was late to Dylan. I was late to Cohen, and so once I cracked the code on those guys, I realized. It was like everybody else just fell to the wayside. Like once mm. I cracked the code on Dylan, it, everybody else just was just trying. And I, it, it, I, I'm a little bit irritating to folks sometimes because I, you know, people ask me for new music. I do listen to new music, and there's a lot of stuff that piques my interest. And in, in so many good young artists coming up, but dang it, I, I've just, I've just gotten so fascinated with both of those guys particularly but but rich mullins it, within the christian realm i think he he's the closest to understanding the art of songcraft yeah. you know it seems like that's been lost in christian music somewhat there are a few guys that are kind of keepers of the flame of that but he just had such a deft hand at that uh, some other, if, if, if I was to round that out, top five, probably Paul Simon would have to be in that mm-hmm. group. And then guys like, you know, maybe like Josh Ritter kind of mm-hmm. round that out for me. So underrated, Josh Ritter. Super underrated. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I think if I were to uh, align myself with one 
artists currently, I would probably be able to empathize with Josh Ritter more than anybody else because he, his, his artwork is so, it's so good. I think he's actually worked himself out of an audience. It's, it's almost like it's too past understanding. It's like, it's not, it's not passive listening. You really have to give yourself to it. And you know, yeah. on a Friday night and you, you, you just want to go down to the bar and drink and listen to Garth Brooks. I mean, I, I got no criticisms of that. Like yeah. Josh's work a little bit. We're not always for that. Are we? So anyways, hundred percent. I tell you one of his tunes that I listened to over and over. It's been out for years is the temptation of Adam. I think is the name of it. Oh, Oh, what what record is that on? Um, it's old. I want to say is what's the name of the one? The con something historical conquests of Josh Ritter or something. It's older. You know, I actually don't know that album very well. The the my my entry was the Animal Years. Do you know that record? Yeah, that this was. I want to say that um that was Animal Years is the record right before this one. I okay. think I'm gonna okay. look it up. So I, I tell yeah. you right. I tell you the 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 temptation of Adam is literally the most mind blowing song to me in terms of like because the thing is the bro is like a novelist and yeah he is. you know a fiction yeah. writer in the form of songwriting and you do have to like really listen and that song yeah. I go over and over and over to try and like dig up the metaphors. Let me find it because well he's 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 one of these rare writers that can juggle multiple concepts at a time mm. and weave them all together without you knowing it. Yes, yeah. totally. Yeah, here it is. 2007, the historical, okay. historical conquests of Josh Ritter and mm. yeah, the temptation of Adam track four. It it's so, and it's the album right after animal years, which is my favorite album. Yeah. Animal years of his, but, um, yeah, it's so good, man. Love Josh Ritter. I can totally see the connection too. Mm-hmm. You're the Christian Josh Ritter. That you put it all in your t-shirts. Yeah, I, I'm. It, that would work because nobody knows who Josh Ritter is and nobody <laughs> knows who I am. So it's great. <laughs> it's there's a truth in that, but the, but here's here's the thing though, Andy, is that um, you know how like. So, like, I heard it said, I think it was Daniel Day-Lewis, that, like, Daniel Day-Lewis is all the actors' favorite actor. Yeah. But, yeah. like, my mom doesn't really probably know who Daniel Day-Lewis is. Right. He's not a right. pop actor. But he's the guy for all the people who actually do it. Yeah. I think you kind of have that same thing. Dude, yes. it's it's That has been proclaimed to me at least two dozen times over the past few years like yeah andy you're you're the musician that musicians listen to it's like oh yeah. okay that doesn't pay very well though you know <laughs> <laughs> totally no because I, I saw i think it was Corey asbury and someone and i'm mm-hmm. like everyone of course josh i know you guys have some history and know each other but like yeah um everyone i talk to uh, mm-hmm. Here in the last couple of years, especially, I'm like, do you know about Andy Squire? I'm an I'm an Andy Squire's evangelist, especially yeah, to songwriters. I, yeah, yeah. Um, man, I was just listening this morning. I was listening to to your music again. Man, I I can't even say this is fun for me because, like I said, I've gotten to interview and talk with uh, some people I know and some I don't, but that are so amazing. But this for me is like fanboy time. Oh wow. Yeah, I'm, wow. I'm like a Andy Squires. You're like the um, 
I don't want to overhype it too much, but I do. You're like the great white hope. Of, Come on. You know, <laughs> and I think there's a piece of that. And this has got to be, like you said, at times it's got to be um, tricky. But, you know, you hear all these stories about guys like Van Gogh who never got totally. appreciated, right, in their time. Yeah. But they yeah. cared enough about what they were doing in their art not to compromise it. Mm-hmm. And I can I can hear a lot of that. And because one of my questions I was, you know, I was working on like, well, what do I, I want to ask Andy? And one of yeah. them was like, why don't you just like, you could totally go and write with pretty much anyone you wanted to and write K-Love songs. And then yeah. I'm listening to Dead Horse, I think it was. And I'm like, oh, I, I can answer that question. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> This would, yeah. This, it's like the antithesis of K-Love. Right. And, and it, 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 I I have to say in full disclosure, I have tried to do that. I have tried to, um, do some co-writing. I, I, I want to be careful. I was, it's, it's interesting because I was just having a conversation with my wife this morning. Um, I think, I think over the past few years, I've taken on this attitude where because I have made the decisions that I have, the artistic decisions that I have, I've, what happens is, is you, you make decisions and then there's consequences attached to those decisions, right? Um, and for me, some of my artistic decisions have removed me out of the, um, the kind of like the greater subculture of Christian music. And, and because of that, dealing with that sense of rejection, I've probably unnecessarily turned a heavy handed critique, like a vocal critique of mainstream, whether it's Christian music or worship music or whatever. And what I'm starting to realize now is that I don't, I don't always want to listen to deep music. It's what we were actually referring to earlier in this conversation. Sometimes I just want to party, you know? Yep. So, you, you know that old quote, like an, an unexamined word, uh, an unexamined life is not worth living. I, I recently saw somebody flip that and say, well, neither is an over and over examined life. Mm. You actually need both of those things. You, you need, you need to take inventory. You need to take stock of your life. You need to, you need to on occasion think about the deeper things in life. And at the same time, sometimes you just want to know what's for dinner. You know, like yeah. sometimes you want to hang with your friends and put on Leon Bridges and just, you know, talk about raising your kids. Because let's be honest, like if we were all walking around thinking deep philosophical, theological thoughts all the time, we just we would just get, oh, just be oppressive, you know? Yeah. So I think what I'm realizing, I'm coming to peace, coming to grips with this idea that I do have my part to play within the greater Christian music family. And and I do hope to, to challenge other artists because I do believe there's a little bit of a laziness that I see in modern songwriting and, and um, there, there is more of a because the template, the song template, has been so uh, entrenched in our musical subculture, and it seems from all all that I can see right now, there's no going anywhere out of that, and and getting on the radio or getting played in yeah. church or whatever. Uh, 
there does need to be some critique. There does need to be some self-examination going on. And, and then at the same time, I do want to say, you know, sometimes people just want to sing an easy song <laughs> and, and, and there ain't nothing wrong with that, you know? Yeah. So we need it all. We do. We do. And, and to have, um, you know, I think of like your new newest tune, you bring the morning, which is mm -hmm. I've shared with you before is like, so I got wrecked, man. When that, when you just a month or whatever, when you released that and I'd heard it before, you know, you'd done some yeah. versions and stuff, but I, man, I just had this amazing encounter with the Lord. And yet at the same time, and I hit replay so many times when I, when that first came out, but I'm like, yeah. Ooh, you, you couldn't do this every Sunday though. Right. It's pretty heavy. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. In fact, in fact, you know, the, the big, the big controversial line in that, that song is, you know, you bring the stillborn baby to my shoulder. I mean, that has all kinds of questions attached to how exactly do the mechanics of that work you yeah. know like in my mind when i when i'm writing that i'm just i'm just seeing jesus kind of like spanning or or, or walking with a person in the distance between when they when they've given birth to a baby and when they realize that baby is not living mm. it, it's really not saying jesus caused it or didn't cause it. it's 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 none of that it's it's more of a description of that just that being there you know uh but we can't sing that every time we sing that song even at my own church we we switch the lyric up to sometimes we sing you bring the newborn baby to my shoulder mm -hmm. you know and so i i i like to think of songs as being fluid even like even in my own pursuit pursuit of truth and and wanting to have integrity in my songs we all have kind of these emotional limits don't we <laughs> yeah well that's a interesting because it's a very like it's a very leonard cohen way to think about songs you know even like versions of hallelujah that are out there that are totally different verses whereas like christian music would never do that right and even get you'd get reprimanded for changing a lyric it's like wow you're not right. really allowed to do that because of copyright and all that and i get that but at the same time i yeah will liberally swap out based on even just in the moment sometimes mm -hmm. it just seems better based on the sermon that just got preached or whatever you know to mm -hmm. sing this or that hmm mm -hmm. well you so speaking of which you actually you have a record coming out soon right yes yeah, so we we are actually wrapping up everything. Mixing will be done by the end of this month. I'll have I'll, I'll have all the songs. We'll just need to master it, and then then it's it's ready to go. How are you feeling? Like in this moment now, you're almost finished, about to share it with the world. Listen, listen. I I I don't know what to think about it. Honestly, I I've been a little bit shocked. I mean, how how many hundreds of thousands of people are going to hear this podcast? I mean, I mean, this. this <laughs> I I don't want to give too much away or disclose too much, but I think just for the sake of the of honesty, I have been a little bit. I I think this record is a step forward for me, uh, in in my writing maturity in the musical choices that I've made. Um, but I think I've sat with this record for so long now that 
I I don't want to say that I'm disappointed with it. I want to say that it's it's a hard record, and I kind of I kind of recognize that. I think you know we've put out the singles, and I think that for a lot of people, com- compared to the Cherry Blossoms record, yeah. this record has been so aggressive. Mm. You know, and I I don't even think I was re- I was realizing that when I was writing it, I was like just trying to write good songs but i mean as heavy as cherry blossoms was the the sonic landscape of it is somewhat soft it's somewhat more like in the folk vein and this record is more of a combination between like rich mullins third eye blind and tom petty that's how that's how i've been describing it to people you know it's like it's a full band there's a lot of electric guitars. The drummer slaps. I mean, it's just, so I think, I mean, even my vocal presentation is way different. It's more of a Johnny Cash yeah. thing compared to that high soft thing that I did in the Cherry Blossoms yeah. session. But there's, so I, as I was listening through the singles back to back this yeah. morning, it had such, uh, you're a Nick Cave fan. I feel like I've seen you post about Nick Cave. You, especially with the low, like baritone vocal that you did, and then the yep. the female vocals up top, I was yep. like, "This is hard. like um, no more shall we part." It's one of my favorite yep. albums, and yep. I, it was like that sound. Even some of the instrumental pieces to it, and have some of that yep. like indie vibe with the low baritone Leonard Cohen influence thing within the female, yep. even Hallelujah, the original version. You know, yep. some yep. of that stuff. How intentional was that for you to pull out some of those influences? The reference to Nick Cave what only came from my side. My my producer Elijah Mosley's good bit younger than me didn't wasn't I mean he knew he he knows the name Nick Cave but he doesn't know the catalog of work. Um but I think the uh I think the Leonard Cohen reference was definitely on purpose. My voice has changed, you know, I've gotten a little bit older and I can't quite pull off that high wispy thing anymore. And so it's, it's funny how you, you can even see that in the artists that I mentioned earlier that I love, like almost all of them have had that, that range shift, you know, I, I think I pulled it off. Well, I think, I think it, I think it's, it's, I think it's effective. I think it's, it makes the songs, uh, lift you know more than if i would have just sung kind of with my normal speaking voice but definitely for me nick cave has always been the the theatrics of nick cave always inspired me and 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 now that i think about it while we're talking i think what i'm even when i'm describing a little bit of nervousness with my record this record is it's aggressive because it's theatrical. It's got all of that bombast that you hear yeah. in some of Dave's best work. And I think in my walking around life, that's not me at all. And it's it's more like performance art. I mean, even the mm. images that we got for for the record singles coverage is like me in a an oversized like David Burns stop making sense suit. That was all very purposeful and I, I think in this year of COVID, I've just kind of like not been on my performance game as as much. And so I'm hearing all this music kind of from like 
the comfort of my home and walking around in my Crocs, for goodness sakes, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Oh, well, man, I, I freaking love them. The new tunes, the theatrics, man, I think there's even some of those moments like the, um, on uh, you bring the morning you when you do go up it makes those moments yeah. pop and the voice is a little shaky nick cave style yeah. i feel yeah. you like a phantom and i'm and yeah. it just gets you right here right. we need more moments like that those are the worship yeah. lift moments in life that that yes. help us feel the thing that we have always felt but rarely heard in church yeah i mean honestly i what we decided early on is we were going to treat our audience with respect and so mm. we I, I think one of the downsides of Christian music is that generally speaking, the, the, the content producers work from the idea that the people that are going to be accessing this music don't know much at all about wider culture. I think that's probably partially true, but I think there are, I think the church is filled filled with articulate people who understand that life is complex, that art is needed, and that we don't have to say the same thing over and over and over and over uh, to be heard. You know, it's it's like we've got to take some risks at some point. And this is... This is part of my critique, uh, and I, I, I like you. I want to be generous in that because I'm so thankful for things like Caleb and the people that it reaches. But um, I tell my wife like sometimes I feel insulted when I'm listening to a lot of CCM pop or even worship stuff because they're assuming I'm kind of an idiot. Yes, <laughs> and yeah. that's that's a crass way to say that maybe, but I do feel that at times where I'm like, give me a little more credit as a listener that I will dig in when I'm listening to worship. I want to engage with the Holy spirit and there's something transcendent and weird and mysterious about that, that I'm going to lean in. Um, Mm -hmm. and sure. I I like, I maybe occasionally like to listen to some pop. I don't listen to much pop Christian at all, but (laughs) I do like, I love pop music, but when I'm in worship mode, I am engaging the, you know, the heart, soul, mind, strength kind of thing. And, um, we can dig in. And, and I'm hopeful. I, I tell you what, man, I, I mentioned that like Corey Asbury, I think, posted about your record and his new record is quite good. Like mm. it's mm. very and I wonder if there's if that's starting to trickle into some of the writers, whether it's Bethel or, or uh, pop artists, you know, that are being getting a little bit more license. To well, do I mean, you think about where Corey came from, too. I mean, I hop the, the musical. Uh, cultivation that was going on at International House of Prayer for okay. 15 years was just incredible. I mean, those guys were were playing, they were playing and writing some insane stuff in the the mid 2000s. I mean, so he, so Corey, Corey knows he knows how to write well, and he knows how to play. I mean. The musicians that he was playing with there they were all great so yeah i mean it's i mean of course the guy is a once in a generation singer too i mean yeah so <laughs> he's got that going for him you know <laughs> no doubt no doubt well i want to ask about because i think some of our listeners like 
um, are curious about Christian artists and you see and don't necessarily know the behind the scenes of like, what do you do? So you're a Christian artist and in certain circles, you're, you're like an, a well-known Christian artist, yeah. but you're also a worship pastor. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So here's what my life looks like. My my the music side that I, of of my life is is like it's a stream. It's you know I I'm I I'm a family man. I wife kids household. You know I'm just like anybody. I'm I'm working to make my life work. You know, so uh, part of that working out is I've developed a I you know I treat it like a small business. It's it's my the music side of my life which is consists of writing recording and and touring you know and and my my touring life isn't you know booking thousand seat venues my touring life is doing a house show run like you know a two-week house show run where i'll play different living rooms every night for 14 days and get in my little honda accord with either by myself or with another guitar player and just hit the road it's it's a viable vocation you can make it work Um, and, and we have, we've, we've made that work and we've been very thankful for, for that piece of the pie for our family. Um, but then I, the majority of my life is spent as a local church pastor. I, you know, we, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I, uh, work at a church called Queen City Church. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's very, it's very humble. It's very, uh, local church oriented, you know, potlucks and, you know, hospital visits. And I mean, this weekend I'm, I'm performing a wedding. I'm, I'm, you know, what do they call it? The celebrants or the officiants of a wedding. You're officiating the wedding. Uh, Yep. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's a very, uh, simple blue collar kind of life, you know, and, and my hope, my hope, I, I, I'm, I'm hoping this is the section of, of my life is that I have a, a national, uh, uh, prominence is the wrong word. I, I, I want, I want, I, I am working for my songs to be heard. I'm not writing these songs and doing all the stuff so I can send them to my mom or play them in my closet. You know, I, I actually, as an artist, I don't think it's arrogant to believe that what you have is important and it's, it's, it's good to be getting it out there into the world. So I have those ambitions, but then I also have a lot of, well, in my heart, I have a great love for the body of Christ, the larger body of Christ, but also in the expression of the local church. So that's where I give a lot of my energy and I give a lot of my thought into that. And that actually also feeds into my artistic work as well. Well, you can hear the stories, right? I mean, I can only assume that some of these are stories that you sing about from maybe not your own life, but your congregants or church mates. That's right. That's right. Mm. Yeah, it's very the way you describe that is very like um, I don't know if you read much Eugene Peterson, but mm, he yes. you know he talked about this like he always felt a draw to be a local church pastor, which he was a pretty humble local church pastor really, and yeah. a writer. Of course, his writing yeah. was way more well known, but he was like the ninety five percent of his life was spent in the local church, being yeah. a pastor. Yes, which is fascinating. He was what he's well known for is really the five or ten percent of his life. That's right. 
and and I I think that I'll never be able to get away from the 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 church service part. You know, I've always been attracted to that. I've I've always felt called to it. Not everybody is, but I've always felt vocationally called to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you mentioned family too. It's um we share some of that in common and that we have big families. You have 73 kids? How many? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Amy and I have six kids six kids yeah four of them are adults uh yeah two of them have moved out of the house one is on her way out and and then so we like for all intents and purposes we really only have about two and a half kids left in the house so (laughs) how does that transition feel because that'll be us in some years you know yeah it, it feels pretty great I miss the little kid years a lot. My wife doesn't miss those as much. Uh, she was just saying to me this week how she loves being the mom of adult kids. So mm. our so our our family rhythm is that like maybe once a week or maybe once every other week the will everybody will kind of descend upon our house and Monday nights are like our family meal night and so uh the kids that have spouses or boyfriends or girlfriends or whatever at this point it's just boyfriends but uh they'll just all come to the house and amy will cook and we have a big it's like essentially a picnic table in in our dining room and yeah just that's that's kind of like our our most important that's probably the heartbeat of our family rhythm you know yeah is staying connected to our kids how how does that you know big family and um i'll tell you what i i have heard to my dismay i've heard so much uh i don't want to say bad mouthing but but at times it is even there was an actress i think it was earlier this year and um made some heartbreaking comments about not having children and and how how good of a decision that was because of the opportunities it afforded her as an actress and i was like honestly that's being becoming a father is the greatest thing I ever did as an artist. You yeah. know, how does that shape you like as an artist, as a local church ministry guy, how do yeah. you guys like make that work and what does that do? So how that affects my art is that the things that I'm contending for, I, I feel like I'm contending for a slower pace of life, a more, a more honest way of speaking about life, a more honest way about speaking about God, a more honest way about what do we give our affections to? Like, I, I think I think consumerism is one of the main issues that we face both in the church, in the way we practice our faith, but also in just even in, even in our, in the arts, like it's like, it's so money driven, you know? And I and I don't want to be. I'm I'm not such a hippie that I don't see the value of money. I'm not, I'm not trying to be poor. I I'm really not. But, <laughs> but I but I think one writer that Amy and I, in eventually ended up finding was Wendell Berry. Have you ever read much yeah. of Wendell Berry? Yeah, a little bit. Well, Wendell, Wendell talks a lot about sustainability. Like, what's sustainable? What? What can you do over the course of your life that when you wake up and you're 60 years old, where your soul is in a complete wreck and your children's lives are, you know, just destroyed for 
going after one false God or another, you know, it's like that whole concept of a lower, slower vision of life is, is what we've always aimed at. We haven't, we haven't achieved some kind of Nirvana state, but that's always the place that we're going back to. Yeah. Like, let's slow down. Let's catch our breath. Let's get the family together. Let's, you know, I don't know. Well, and I don't know if I, did I, did I answer your question? I'm not sure that I did, but totally. I think you see, it's so interesting to watch different artists do it differently. And honestly, probably I would say successfully, but very different, right? Cause like some guys or gals will take their kids on the road with them and live in the tour bus and do that. Yep. Some people, for us, we said, we're just not going to do shows and tour. We used to do that. It's how my wife and I met. And yeah. then when we started having to live, leave the kids on the weekends to go yeah. to travel, play a show, it was like, this isn't worth it to play right. for 50 bucks, you know, and sleep right. on the floor at night. Like <laughs> that's not, you know, maybe yeah. if it's, if it's buying me some, some more family time in another area, sure. But so you, you kind of different people make different sacrifices in order to, uh, that family priority, you know, it's big for us. It's a finding other voices of people that, um, and in the Christian world, it's way easier to find people who yeah. are selling their family out to do their thing. It's like, that is especially, I don't know if it's more so now or I'm just paying attention now, but I love seeing um, so many people that are like really placing their family first and getting their priorities constantly refined over yeah. family um, and uh, as, as well as being an artist. And what does that mean for the studio or touring or whatever? Yeah. It's all, uh, yeah. Well, one one other thing you I wanted to ask you about. You posted recently um, about evangelicalism, and there mm. was you know there's been we've had our booties kicked this year as evangelicals yeah. and so many and for a while really, but especially this year in 2020. Um, and you kind of, I think what's so interesting to me is that there are quite a few voices even in the last few years that come from the evangelical church and decide um it's not for me you know they deconstruct they do whatever and 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 then become very critical of the evangelical church and many ways you might sit in that and it wouldn't have completely surprised me to hear you pile on and yet you kind of came to the defense and you said no actually here's like you have a very pastoral heart when it comes to the evangelical church i'm curious about that and and do you like fight cynicism and tension and all that yeah well that that tweet thread i I guess maybe i should summarize that for folks who didn't see it but sure. what i what i essentially said was that there are so many 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 people who know nothing about the public conversation happening about evangelicals on Twitter and Facebook, who are hidden, who are, who are getting up in the morning, going to work, doing really good things on a practical level, serving their communities, serving humanity, that when we disparage, uh, 
folks, because they identify as evangelicals, they most people don't even know. They don't even know that that's a tag to wear or not. Yeah. Um, when we when we use sweeping generalizations to categorize people, well, that's just a problem. And and what I've realized is that for all the critique that I have for my tribe, which I would say was uh, Protestant evangelicals, and, and in my tribe specifically, charismatic evangelicals, for all of the critique, there is that that's not that's not the whole story. It can't be. It's because yeah. it's not the whole story about anybody's life. I mean, you could take I mean, we're talking about an institution, but you could take a person and if you were just to assess them by what they're not good at or or what their faults are, while that may be telling the truth, it's not to that's not telling the whole truth because people are complex, aren't they? Mm, like yeah. People have so much going on within them. And so for me, oh, and also I've had my own uh, negotiation with the deconstruction movement. So over the past five years of my life where my own faith journey with the Lord has kind of coincided with with my proximity to people who I would say are, are quote unquote, more influential. They're Christians who have influence within the the conversation somehow. And and most of them you could probably categorize as deconstructionists. But 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 again, a generalization, not the full story, but sure. for the sake of this conversation. So I I think so so I'm Enneagram, I'm a I'm an eight wing nine. So I have this challenger side in me, but I also have this peacemaking thing that's working on me too. Hmm. And so a lot of times I will I will challenge folks, but then I want to be generous. I want to be generous with people's perspectives. I want to be generous with people's theological journeys. I I I don't want to be so arrogant that I say that I have figured out all of the correct theological foundations that we should be living from. But what, what I noticed that did in my own life, practically speaking, is that things that were once settled for me were no longer settled. So I, I went, I went from, I mean, you can only live your life successfully from settled issues. I believe that. Like, mm-hmm. I believe that what you believe rules you. And and as I began swimming in kind of the the postmodern milieu of deconstructionism, I I began to feel my faith diminish. Like mm-hmm. like I became uncertain about about Jesus and I, I I went through that for a number of years and I finally just kind of woke up one day and I was like why why am I so concerned with being uh, so nuanced and generous that it 
I give off the appearance of not even really believing anything anymore. Why? Why is that all of a sudden become important to me? And I realized, I realized I was trying to mitigate scorn. I was trying to mitigate mm-hmm. public derision. I was trying to be cool. Like that's the brass tacks of it. Like yeah. I was trying to be so smart I that I could hang with, I don't know. I, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but like all the folks, all the famous folks that we know that have kind of like left mainstream criticism, uh, Christianity yeah. over like their criticisms over those institutions or that institution. I just, I realized it's like, no, man, I, I wouldn't have even known Jesus without the evangelical church. I wouldn't even have my life, all the goodness in my life. I would not have if it weren't for all these fuddy duddy fundamentalists who taught me some basic things about life. Like, Oh, like for instance, there is such a thing as a sexual ethic to be found in the scriptures. And if you deny that and you go off and do whatever you want, your life will will end up mirroring your lifestyle, your choices, the things that you've done, the things that it's, it's, that's a very simplest, simplistic example, but like, I can't deny that that sexual ethic that was given to me by the evangelical church has proved to bring very good fruit into my life. Yeah. If, if I imagined my life without that sexual ethic, I, I can promise you, I would have been a disaster. Yeah, you know, I, totally. I am a disaster. I would have been more of a disaster. <laughs> right. Totally. Man, this, yeah, I feel like you're reading my uh, journals a little bit. You know, and this <laughs> thing about, I had my own, about, I mean, m- many of us did, especially maybe like my church came out of that whole emergent movement, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and um, I remember it well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, um, I think for a while, I don't know if I would say I drank the Kool-Aid, but I was I was in, man. I was listening to all the podcasts and all this, and I like genuinely liked the conversation, reading the books and oh, all this yeah. stuff. Oh, and yeah. I was getting I was I felt like I was getting smarter, you know, yeah. all these things. Yeah. And could talk to my atheist friends and say, Well, think about it this way. And then yeah. man, the exact same thing I realized. I literally I tell you what, a, a, a quick story. I uh I was with, I had a worship intern years ago. This was four or five years ago. And there's a woman in town as a homeless woman. And uh, her name, she goes by Reverend Ray. And she's just this just big, big black lady that um, will talk your ear off. Definitely there's some mental illness stuff going on there. And she's in and out. And I somehow see her all the time in a very large city all the time. And we're downtown city market where it's a big open air market thing. And Rev Ray walks by. I'd met her a time or two before, but she walks by with her cane and she starts talking to us. Me and my intern have this like deep discipleship conversation about this very thing, right? Deconstruction and um, struggling with him. Him, he's coming in college age and he's like, I want to hang with my friends and be cool and like this or that. Yeah. And yet I really want to follow Jesus and I want to like drop my nets, this whole thing. This is really hard. We're literally talking about this. She comes by and she starts, in her words, prophesying over us. Can I prophesy over you from me? And I'm like, who am I to say no? Like, bring it on. Yeah. Right. 
and she and I, I kid you not she's eventually she's like can I sit down and it's 45 minutes an hour and she grabs us by the wrists and she looks straight into our eyes and she says do you want to be cool or do you want to be like Jesus and we oh, hadn't we hadn't oh. said a word the whole time she's oh. just going right oh my gosh and he and I walked away like choked up you know in tears I'm like that was a word you know the Lord yes. came in through this woman who who most people would write off that was um and it was around that time I don't remember if that was the moment or not but I really realized I had this I yeah. this golden calf of being cool of making cool yeah. music of wanting yeah. to be the worship leader that could make cool indie rock music and make all that work together and I'll tell you man yeah. it's exhausting it is it's so exhausting it and I said and I now I quote that I say this to our church over and over like if you want to be a radical Christian in 2020, read the Bible a lot, pray a yep. lot, worship Jesus, go to church. Yep. Just it's those true. three or four things is so radical, even among Christians. It's true. It's so it's, crazy. It's true. But I'll I'll tell you this. I I've been saying this little. It's this is a bumper sticker that I've just been saying to myself. I've been saying that belief is relief you know mm. i i i preached a message recently on john chapter six no it's not john chapter six it's it's the it's the chapter where he discloses to his disciples well first to the uh scribes and pharisees that he's the bread of life and there's this big you know everyone's offended everyone's offended and leaves yeah but one of the things that deconstructionism has done is that it's it's introduced this idea that nothing can be known. Yeah. That that God is a mystery and nothing can be known. And and what that does is it undermines the idea that anything at all can be known. Right? It's right. like everything that can be believed can be believed can be contested like i just heard i just heard james ka smith say this we live in the age of the contestability of belief okay mm. and and that is a that's a strictly secular dogmatic but the problem is is that secularism cannot live under its own critique so so if if belief is contestable but so is doubt so, so is the critique of faith yeah. that that must be critiqued faithfully okay well you can only go so far that that's that's like a black hole that's like a never-ending black hole you cannot escape it yeah and i re i realized that belief was a gift mm. so so i'll i i will i will admit this god is a mystery not everything about him is known Maybe it can't be known, but there are things that can be certainly known. Mm. For instance, Jesus said these words out of his mouth. I am the bread of life. And it was like when I read those words, it was like these blinders broke off my eyes and off my ears. And I, I thought, oh, I've made this so hard that I have cut myself out of the very thing that was going to help me, which is to simply believe Jesus. And, and 
I will also say this. There are folks coming in hot and heavy from the conservative side and from the liberal progressive side when it comes to voices that are screaming at us who we are and what we are supposed to be doing. Yep. Right. So the so the the conservative evangelicals are like denying that there's any kind of works of action to be done in the world that that the only thing to do is ask Jesus into your heart and then you know go operate a Chick-fil-A for the rest of your life and tithe to your local mega church. Like that's one extreme version of this. And then the other extreme version is um you know more of that left-leaning social justice side of things where it's like forget asking Jesus forget believing in Jesus if you're not protesting racial injustice you're an idiot. Yeah. You know, it's like those those are both accusing voices. Those are both voices that are striving to get Christians out of following Jesus. And I've I got so exhausted. I got so tired under the burden of my own belief that I was greatly relieved once I made that decision again. Like, Jesus, I don't understand everything that's coming out of your mouth, but there are a few things that I can at least say yes to. If you're telling me that you're the bread of life and that the work of God is to believe you, then that's what I'm at least going to start with. And I have to say, it's been a little bit of a re renaissance in my, my faith life. I mean, I'm 47 I've I've followed Jesus for all of my adult life, never really gone off in into any kind of like prodigal son season, never done anything like that. But I have definitely given my heart over to things that were less than following the Lord. And I am very glad to be back in this place of I may be um seen as the fool in the world of the world or the idiots the local court jester whatever you want to say but i'm pretty okay with that right now yes and there's something about that um that is so relieving like this was the uh, you know the story i mentioned earlier there's some moment in there right that's just a similar it was weird because it was like a confession of faith Jesus, yes. i'm just going to be an orthodox christian Yes. <laughs> Which felt so defeating and like a surrender. Yeah. And then now I look, you know, this was years ago now, but like, I'm like, Lord, why did I just not do that? You know, maybe. And I, I would say this too about deconstruction is that I'm not a total opponent in the sense that people in our church that have walked through it and then asked my input, I've said like deconstruction is a very important piece of the journey, even for the disciples, Absolutely. right? As you see Jesus yes. like walking the disciples, but um, it's a not a great destination or f journey to stay on because, yeah. it, like you said, it eventually will destroy your sense of your intellect to everything. And yeah. um, and Jesus never praises doubt either. Yeah, right? that's so right. He, he he talks about it. He and he absolutely accepts it. He just never yeah. looks at it as something to be praised. And it's the opposite. You know, that faith yeah. is the is the thing. So. Boy, I, the, I can't say how much that was a, um, yeah, a relief. Like you said, belief is relief. That's your next t-shirt, man. Belief is relief. Hit those bumper <laughs> stickers. You talk about making money, man. Well, you know, and in, in, you remember that old uh, 
what's that old was it Nietzsche or was it Marx who said that religion is the opiate of the masses yeah yeah and he was of course he at that time was picking on maybe some of the higher forms of church like maybe Roman Catholicism or or the Orthodox Church Eastern Orthodox Church but uh, that commentary is this idea that there's there's kind of this mindlessness to faith which i i don't i don't see that at all i i recognize that there are folks who aren't necessarily being thoughtful you know not every not every person can be thoughtful depending on whatever intellectual prowess they you know have or are able to exhibit but there are plenty of folks in the world who are much smarter than you and I who have concluded on the side of faith it's not it's not the church isn't filled with millions of bumbling idiots yeah we're we're all philosophers in a sense and we're all we're all striving to come to conclusions that produce good fruit in our lives and for my money at this point following jesus is the best thing going mm. even though you may lose i was going to ask you this question have you have you read robert capen at all no so robert capen is a was an episcopal episcopal priest who he he passed away maybe in the 90s maybe early 2000s but his hermeneutic helped me more than any other theologian that I've ever, ever read, but he, <clears throat> he helped me see one of the, one of the issues with the American church right now, and this is a, this is a fair critique is that we have, we have tried to access power by doing deals with the systems of the world, like governments and entertainment and all of these things, right? These big, powerful institutions. And so American Christians have often thought that the way of expressing the kingdom of God is to, is to dominate those, those powers. If we can get into power with those places, then we can bring a Christian nation into the earth that'll change the world. And, and Capon would say that that's, that is engaging power yeah. the way the world describes power. That would be engaging power to, uh, you know, to achieve your end goal. And Capon's, Capon's idea would be that weakness, losing um, not being in power, not being in control is the Jesus way. It is the way of following Christ. It is the way that your life looks, you know, that, that the cross, you know, the cruciform cross was not just Jesus dying for our sins, but it was him showing us what life looks like when you give up yourself for your neighbor. Mm even for your enemy. And I think that that's where, if we can combine that those kinds of low to the ground hidden practices with 
actual belief, actual faith in the, in the words of Jesus, we will see transformation in our communities. We will see transformation in our, in our lives. But, but it's often still very hidden. It doesn't come with fireworks. It doesn't come with stage lighting. It doesn't come with, uh, you know, millions of people knowing about it. It comes very low, slow, and hidden. You know, obviously, mm-hmm. that's, that's all back to the Wendell Berry hermeneutic as well. But that's the way I'm trying to live anyways. Yeah. I know it's not a perfect way, but that's what I'm going after. No, but the amazing thing is it's right there all along, right? In, in the is. Gospels, like, he's telling us this and saying, you, you, you look at the world this way and power and yeah. the disciples scrambling for who's going to be first and sit on the throne next to Jesus. And he's like, no, let me teach you. And yet, well, to quote your, uh, uh, your guy, Rich Mullins, I think he said, um, this is why we created highlighters so that we can highlight the parts of the Bible we like and forget the rest. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. And it doesn't fit into our way of uh, being, which is such a theme for, for our family or me this year is mm. like, we tend to, to um, draw out, we tend to see what we want to see and draw out the facts and data that we want that supports our argument rather yeah. than coming to the table and saying, Jesus, what, what do I need? To, how do I need to be reshaped in this moment? Yeah, uh, which is hard. It sucks, and it is like, and it's so hard. It's um uh, necessarily humbling. You can't do it without being humbled, which is why we all hate it. Or <laughs> I do anyway. <laughs> yeah, and man, y- y- I I imagine that you've probably never had a fight with your wife before, <laughs> but you no, know, like nothing, nothing quite nothing quite challenges me like a fight with my wife, Mm. you know, like all of the theory goes out the window, all of my grand theologies, all of the way that I present myself on social media, my smart words, my smart songs, my, even my pulpit ministry, my preaching, like I can, I can so easily put words together that, you know, not just help people, but make people like, be in awe of God or whatever, you know, but it's like none of that stuff even matters. If I cannot hear my spouse when she's telling me you have an issue and it's hurting me like, like brass tacks, man. So often when my wife comes to me and we have an issue to work through and she's telling me the truth about the way she perceives me, defensiveness is my first reaction almost every single time. Like I go into justification mode. And so knowing that, knowing that helps me travel through the world because if the person that I'm closest to, if she and I have to work very hard to communicate accurately and to understand each other and how we mystify each other often, how could I possibly walk through this world assuming that I know what to say or how to be around all of these other people in my my wider community, but even on the internet, like, like 
arguing with people on the internet is the silliest, most energy wasting thing that we could probably ever do because the chances for misunderstanding are, are very high. Yeah. Very high percentage. So I think even, you know, back to that original text thread, my point or my aim wasn't to incite riots for folks. If I, if, if I've got any kind of public access to folks, what I want to tell people is that we don't have to attach, we don't have to attach ourselves to the fashionable lines of thinking just because we see them on Instagram or, or Twitter. We don't have to fall for the, the, the cool new forms of talking, you know, all of that stuff. We can re excuse ourselves from the social media platforms, head back into our families, back into our communities and do the real work of, of healing the misunderstanding that we have between our wives, our husbands, our, our children, our, our friends that we run with on a weekly basis, our church friends, you know, our wider families. Like, I think we need to do the work there first. Boy, isn't that a word? Cause we'll, you know, we'll get in an argument with, we'll, have an argument with, uh, I mean, again, I don't ever have arguments with my wife, so I don't know what that's right. like. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. We'll, 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 you know, we'll get in an argument or I'll, I'll uh, be upset with the kids or whatever. And then I'll go to like a salve, you know, I'll go to Instagram or Facebook and freaking yeah. pick a fight with someone because I'm yeah. pissed off already. And then yeah. I'll go and then I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. And thankfully the Lord, it's getting faster. It's not, yes. it's not fast enough yet, but it's getting faster that. He'll be like, hey, actually, I need you to clear up the thing with the person that is very close to you before the person that lives on the other side of the world that yeah. you that you don't even know the motivations of uh, or anywhere close to it. So, boy, what a word for 2020. Dude, I could we could talk all day long, but I want to I want to honor your time here. And I wonder one thing I ask everyone to do as people who are listening that may be worship leaders or songwriters, artists um, or just people in the church that are like. Um, fans of yours are curious about these things. If you would pray over people, yes, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for this time together. Uh, and we we ask that our words today would be seasoned with your grace and infused with your spirit, Lord. This humble interaction, uh, we ask you to multiply it, Lord for the sake of the kingdom of God, for the sake of folks that are trying to travel light down your, your narrow path, Lord. It's, it is difficult, Lord. And you know that, you know, that the things that we're tempted by, you know, the things that we're struggling through, you know, that it's not easy to live on planet earth, but our prayer Lord is that you would have mercy on us and that you would give us help in our time of need. And even in this, like, hot election season where it just seems like all kinds of vitriol is being passed back and forth lord that you would make us peacemakers that would be we bearers of your peace to other bearers of your image lord all the folks that we we 
are standing next to in line at the grocery store or at the gas station. Lord, let us be your hands and feet and your, your voice even to bring your grace and peace into this world. Lord, I pray for any artists that are listening to this who have felt a call, a vocational call to telling the truth. Lord, I pray that you would give them a spirit of wisdom, Lord, that they could push into that and that they could be faithful to that calling, Lord. And Lord, we just thank you for all of this. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you're like me and you sometimes feel caught between the worlds of Christian music and the music that you really love, check out Andy's music. You can follow him on social media or find his music at the links in the show notes. Like I've mentioned, his new record, Poet Priest, is out everywhere. But before you listen, you should probably put on a diaper because you might poop your pants. I'm sorry for that joke. The theme music for the Secret Chord podcast is shamelessly supplied by my band Mountaintops. If you like it, you can follow us on Instagram or on Facebook. You can listen to us wherever you listen to music. If you're enjoying this show, if you're liking the show, if it's helping you in some way or encouraging you, definitely follow us on Instagram at the Secret Chord Podcast. You can leave comments. You can DM me there. I personally respond to every single one of them. Also, make sure to hit that subscribe button. If you're listening on Apple, hit the follow button. If you're listening on Spotify, truly, I just love to keep up with people. I love to meet new people. So make sure you keep up with the new episodes as they come out. And if you really, really, really want to help out, if you want to help other people hear the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts and give it a rating uh, and give it a review. Just give it an honest review of whatever you think about the show. Helps other people hear it. Thanks for listening. See you next time.